The Bible says my people perish because of lack of knowledge. Many people are perishing because of the lack of the knowledge of the full gospel. We receive salvation by grace through faith. There are many people who are only receiving part of the gospel because that's the only part that they are aware of and have faith in. So there are many Christians living powerless lives in lack, sick, and oppressed. They will go to heaven because they believe in that. They might have a relationship with God here right now because they believe in that, but they do not know about the rest of the inheritance from Jesus. So they don't have faith in it because they don't know. My people perish because of lack of knowledge. But the Bible says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So here, you know the truth today. It's time for you to believe in this truth so you can be set free. And the gospel of the kingdom is never preached without miracle signs and wonders. In other words, let me say it another way. It is illegal, by the way, if you're watching, it is illegal to preach the gospel without miracle signs and wonders. Jesus never, never sent the church or commissioned the church to preach the gospel without miracles. It's illegal. In other words, that make us illegal witness. In other words, I think it's an insult to the cross of Christ to preach the gospel without power. Anyone who says signs and wonders don't matter or isn't required in presenting the gospel is completely wrong. Paul says this, signs and wonders gave him full confidence that he fully preached the gospel and without them, the gospel's not full. Here's what the NLT says. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. In this way, in what way? By the miraculous signs and wonders. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Lyricum. In today's era of Christianity, we've lost the convincing factor. The thing that was convincing people in Paul's day was the signs and wonders. And today we use programs, gimmicks, and nice buildings. But Paul used signs and wonders. He didn't need a play, a performance, a gimmick. It was the raw power of God that convinced them. The Bible says they were convinced by the miraculous signs and wonders. So the world doesn't need a new definition of Christianity. They need a new demonstration of Christianity. I'm here to announce to you tonight that it is boomerang season in the kingdom of God. It is boomerang season tonight. And it is said that is it said he and his sons were hanged on the gallows. Now, if you will remember, they built those gallows to hang the Jews on. Let me say over the last several years, God has given the enemy enough rope to hang himself. And God is saying all his evil schemes are going to boomerang back on his own head. Now, let me help you understand a few things about the book of Esther. Number one, Esther is not the story. It's not a Cinderella story about a little orphan girl that got to marry a mighty king. That is not what this story is about. The story of Esther is the story of the modern day, spirit-filled, Holy Ghost-empowered church, the ecclesia that he is raising up. Now, let me say that for generations, there was another church. Her name was Vashti. This region has been controlled by Vashti, one that took the name but was disobedient to the king, empowered by the religious spirit 
The church in this area has worn the name of church, but has looked nothing like the bride of Christ. And what happened? A point in time came where the king stripped the crown off of Vashti. I'll tell you, there is a stripping away of the crown of authority off the Vashti church. I'm going to call it the apostate church. A church that believes in having a form but no power. God's very serious about reformation. We're in a season of reformation. We're in a season of an Esther church being positioned. An Esther church rising to answer a call. An Esther church who's willing to purify herself. That's willing to prepare herself. That's willing to go before the throne of the king and wait until his scepter of favor is released. And that when he says to us, what is it that you want? We're wise enough not just to say, God, could you please pay my bills this month? But we're wise enough to ask God for nations and for generations. How many believe that there's a church that's understanding what it is that we're called to do? What we've been positioned for? Miracles through your hands are not to, conf- are not to affirm your identity. They are to confirm the gospel. The gospel must be preached. Romans chapter 1 says the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God is the power of God unto salvation. Salvation, back in the Reformation days, we give great honor to what took place in the Reformation. But one of the mistakes that was made is that the gospel of the kingdom was reduced to the gospel of salvation, specifically to the gospel of forgiveness of sin. The word salvation includes in its meaning deliverance and healing as well as forgiveness. So the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of salvation is the power of God. The gospel of the kingdom is the power of God for deliverance, for healing, and for forgiveness of sin. It was never meant to be separated. In the gospel of Matthew, Jesus said, pray this prayer, deliver us from evil. The word evil, of course, refers to sinful activities but it comes from a word that is the it comes from a word that is the word poor which comes from a word that means pain so it's interesting there's three levels of this one word evil evil sin pain sickness poor poverty the redemptive brushstroke of jesus was to wipe out the power of all three realms all through all three areas The kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but it is what? Righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness deals with the sin issue. Peace deals with what? The torment issue. Joy, there's laughter, is good medicine, deals with the healing issue. The kingdom of God is about these triune, this triune gospel to impact the whole person, spirit, soul, and body. It was never intended that we just got forgiven so we could go to heaven. It was supposed to be that we become transformed people that can model, illustrate, and demonstrate the same gospel that Jesus walked the earth with and preached. Let me give you some reference points for what you just heard. The first clip was from Catherine Crick. She had done a teaching five months ago titled The Full Gospel, and she began to expound on that as we'll talk about here in a little bit. And she did tell some truths in there, but then she expounded on it and 
began to talk about what the full gospel was that was beyond simply salvation, in her, in her words. The second clip that you heard came from Guillermo Maldonado, who is a professing apostle in Florida. And I think what he said is pretty self-explanatory, that if you don't have signs and wonders with the gospel, it's not a full gospel. The third clip was Isaiah Saldivar, who also espouses this same belief, who will listen to a clip from another minister that he runs with and in, in an interview and hear some things that are interesting to hear from his perspective regarding what Isaiah believes, as well as a couple of other interesting observations that I noticed in the video with regards to how they handle posting about miracles and signs. The next clip that we heard was from um, a lady that espouses to be an apostle, Jane Hammond, and she was ministering last September in a gathering. And as you heard, she was expounding on the book of Esther and making a distinction between Esther as the spirit-filled church and Vashti as the apostate church or the religious church. And the fifth clip that we heard was from Bill Johnson at Bethel Church in Redding, California. And this sermon was titled, The Power of the Gospel. And as you heard, he was talking about how we are to um, operate in these signs and wonders and that uh, we are to have the, the full gospel, basically, I'm going to paraphrase, but the full gospel is to be um, experienced body, soul, and spirit. I have a question as, as we've listened to these clips. What is the full gospel? As we've just heard from these brief sound bites, there are some who believe that without signs and wonders accompanying your ministry, you have presented a partial gospel. There are also those who state that the apostate church can be identified as those who oppose the modern move of God, such as prophecy, tongues, miracles, signs, and wonders. Here is a clip from Charlie Champ taken this month when he posted a prophetic word for 2023. In the face of the very church that is apostate, you know, the apostate church, you can recognize the apostate church because the apostate church rejects judgment. They also reject holiness. They also reject repentance and they reject the prophetic word. You can look all around us, especially in America right now, and you can easily distinguish that the apostate church is all around us. But I believe that God is raising up an apostolic church that will combat against that demonic antichrist spirit that is infiltrated into the body of Christ and like an infection, like a disease, it's going to be pushed out from among us because we are not going to settle for the status quo. No, nor are we going to put up with the demonic powers of the very satanic doctrines of demons you know, the Bible says in Isaiah 30, verse 10, it says, Which say unto the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. If there has ever been an hour where this scripture is more, is more accurate, it is now. Where the apostate church tries to shut up the prophetic word. They don't want you to talk about the power of the declaration of God's uncompromising word. 
They don't want to talk about holiness. Come on, somebody. They don't want to talk about, they don't want to talk about judgment. They don't want to talk about repentance. They don't want to talk about miracles and the supernatural. They don't want to talk about the power of the Holy Ghost. They don't want you speaking in tongues, casting out devils, healing the sick. They, they, they don't want you prophesying any longer. They want you to speak unto them smooth words. They want three points and a little poem at the end. They want to be able to get up and say, you know, uh, everybody's okay and it's all all right and they want to try to soothe you to sleep like a serpent like a devil but i've come to decree and declare tonight that this serpent is being executed by the scepter of the lord and that there's an apostolic church that's on the rise and we will not speak smooth things as we've had a longer introduction today i hope that you will continue to join me as we look at some of these clips and consider what is the full gospel? What is the true gospel of Jesus Christ? What is the pure gospel of Jesus Christ? Because this matters. This is a hill worth dying on. This is a, a point. This is the, the foundation. This is the foundation of our faith. And if the gospel is wrong, then we have a wrong Christ. We have a wrong message, and we don't have true salvation. And if anything, there could be da there's danger of adding to or a gospel plus. So stick with me as we look at this. We delve into scripture and be encouraged by the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Six Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Six Scribe. Romans 1, 16, 17 is a very well-known passage that we all know, and because of what we're talking about today with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to read that along with many other passages of Scripture that I hope that you will join me in opening your Bible and reading along. Romans 1, 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek Verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Our hope in Christ is based on what he has done, the finished work of Christ on the cross. And time and time again, we can go throughout scripture and see both in the Old Testament where the gospel was ministered, and we can see the, the revealing of it in the New Testament through the coming of Jesus Christ to die for our sins on the cross, and to save us from the eternal punishment, from the wrath of God, and to give us the promise of eternal life, to raise us from the dead, from spiritual death, and to raise us into eternal life, to, to new life in Christ, and to make us a new creation, to no longer be enemies of God, to be children of God, to be citizens of heaven. The, all these clips, there can be so much to take in. And when you're, if you've ever listened to these teachings, you've been in these movements, some people are really smooth, slick, fast talkers. And it's really hard to catch what they say at the time. Or it may be so subtle that it's really hard to see what the difference is, what is truth from error. And so I hope as we look at some of this today and ponder on it and consider some of the things that are taught, that we will always find ourselves going back to the Word of God and looking at it in the right context, because again, this matters. 
This is a matter of eternal significance. And if we get the gospel wrong, then we are leading others, including ourselves, away from Christ, away from the truth. And what he did was sufficient, and it doesn't need anything added to it. I wanted to look a little bit first at Catherine Crick. I mentioned she was the first first clip that I played, but as I listened, and I did listen to the entire message, she talked initially about the gospel. She mentioned about sin, about righteousness, about dying on the cross, and that was all well and good. There were things that she said that sounded truthful, but then she began to say that she'd been a Christian all of her life. Nobody can say that. There is nobody. I can't, I can't say that. You can't say that. None of us were Christians all of our lives. We were born into sin, and we needed a Savior. So nobody has been a Christian their entire life. But as she went on, she said that seven years ago, she had had a radical experience and encounter and had a prophetic word and saw signs and wonders take place. And that was when she saw the full gospel on display. And she began to tell people about how the full gospel, not only it wasn't just about salvation, but it was also including protection, that God wants us here, that he's not going to take us before our time. And that he needs us here. He wants us here so that he can fulfill his plan. And she talked about um, being serious about surrendering to him. She said that the full gospel includes provision and that he blesses our work, even the mundane work. She said, even the mundane work that you do, he blesses. She said the full gospel included perfect peace and included God's power and that we were empowered to do things for him. She said that it also included authority. And as she went on, she said that this was the full gospel. This is the full gospel. There is so much of the gospel that many in the body of Christ have never heard. I know this because I was just this open Christian in many different Christian circles for 24 years of my life until I heard the full gospel and hearing the full gospel changed everything for me. When I heard the full gospel, that began my first step into receiving abundant life from Jesus and walking in it. I can tell you now, abundant life is more than possible. I am living proof. I'm walking in it now. What you've just heard, this really is what Jesus has provided for you. It is accessible to you. It is Jesus wants it for you more than anything. He's already given all these things to you, healing, freedom, abundant life, provision. It is like this. She's going to go on to talk about how it's like a Christmas present under a tree and your name is on it. He wraps it and puts it under a tree. And all you need to do is you need to be willing to go and take your present. You need to go find it with your name on it and you need to claim it and receive it. We've already listened to the clip as she continued to go on and talked about that many people are not walking in the fullness of the gospel, that they're only walking in the faith of understanding salvation. And so they're living powerless lives that they're not walking in abundant health, wealth, prosperity, and they're being oppressed by demons, and that they're they're not living in the fullness of what God has for them, and that they only have the amount of faith to, to do what, basically what she's talking about, salvation, that that's the, all that they really have. They have their faith put in salvation. What I found even more so troubling as I listened to this was what she said near the end of this. I want to play this here for you right now. It's bigger than that. 
the more that we are walking in God's abundant life, the more we are shining brightly for Jesus to the world. We're the light of the world. And it's us being a light that attracts the lost. It's not us preaching partial gospel and living in lack and bondage and sickness. The world doesn't want that. That's not attracting. How we are the light, how we are the biggest light we can be is by preaching the full gospel and living it out and showing people, testifying. This is what happens when you give your life to Jesus. I was once sick, but he healed me. I have abundant health now. I was once oppressed, but he delivered me. I have perfect peace now. I was once in lack, but I have abundance in all areas. God's opened up all these doors. There's favor upon my life. That's what will attract people to Jesus. The question I have is, are we supposed to be attractive to the world? Is that what scripture tells us to do? And is this the full gospel? I'm going to continue to ask that question. And I hope that you're asking yourself that question when you hear all this. Is this the full gospel? Is this a gospel that can be ministered anywhere, including all over in parts of the world that are third world countries where poverty is so severe that we cannot comprehend it, where there is brutality, persecution taking place? Is this the full gospel? Isaiah Saldivar was the next one, and he says that without signs and wonders, we have not presented the full gospel, as I, as I said, and as you heard him say with his own mouth. And he said this in a, in a particular um, a live broadcast he did on his own YouTube channel, and I've also heard him minister this in clips when he is publicly ministering. Now, if you want a better uh, description, a detailed uh, description of what he's talking about, because in that short that I played... He mentioned about the New Living Translation and that Paul uh, was saying that people were convinced of the gospel because of signs and wonders. I would highly encourage you to go on over to Chris Roseborough's YouTube channel for Fighting for the Faith. I came across this video in researching this. It was really helpful in understanding what the scripture actually meant and why the New Living Translation and the words that it used were not appropriate for this verse. The gospel presented in scripture is sufficient, and what's being presented here is, is gospel plus. This is works-based gospel. This is, not, this is creating more bondage for people than it is for freedom. So I would encourage you to check that, check that video out. I'll actually put the link in the description for this podcast, and I, and I think you'll find it very helpful because he goes into far greater detail than I will today about this. I'm just going to, as always, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm simply a, a, a woman that came out of this type of movement. And so now my passion is to share with other women and to help minister to them as, as much as I can and to point them back to Scripture, back to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to glorify Christ in word and deed, and to look at these things and offer some things for consideration and to encourage you to get back into the scripture because there's there's a lot of stuff that's being taught in this movement that is damaging and it's leading people into error and it's leading them away from Christ is my main concern. Um, And Christ is not being exalted. But Isaiah Saldivar says these things. He says that signs and wonders are required. In fact, that's what his video was titled on YouTube, Signs and Wonders Required. What I found interesting was I watched a recent clip from an interview between Alexander Pagani and Ruslan, and you may not know those names, and it's okay. 
But Alexander Pagani um, is one of the gentlemen that is affiliated with Isaiah Saldivar, and he considers himself one of the demon slayers. If you've listened to my podcast before, I've um, I've critiqued some of those teachings and some of the things that they've said about deliverance ministry. And uh, Ruslan was interviewing Alexander Pagani, and I found this clip interesting to say the least because of the things that they they shared. So in this clip, they discussed the issue of this belief of Isaiah Saldivar's and why Alexander defends Isaiah. And then there were other things Pagani said that I wanted to point out there too that are worth mentioning today. So let's have a listen and eavesdrop in on their interview, which by the way, this clip was posted on Pagani's YouTube channel. I think even in the way you communicate, it's less certain. Right. And Isaiah will say stuff that I think makes for great YouTube content. Yeah. But then when it comes to like, whoa, 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 hold on. You know, in this last thing, I think uh, it was it was the like off- the works have to follow. Right. No, no, the he office- said the signs have to follow. Right. The office yeah. of the evangelist is mm-hmm. to, to use a, a term that people understand is an evangelist is a herald. Mm-hmm. Now, let me say real quick before this, I cut this out. But um, Pagani espouses to be an apostle. He says church planter. He said, but for all purposes, um, he says an apostle. I want you to keep that in mind because of the fivefold ministry and what's believed about this and the authority of the apostle and such. But we're talking about Isaiah in in this context. I also want to say this as well. As always, this is not an attack, a personal attack on anyone. This is to evaluate teaching. So we are told in scripture to evaluate teaching. I'm not interested in ad hominem attacks on anybody. I'm not interested in making um, irrelevant comments about people's dress or anything like that. What I want to do on these podcasts, I want to bring stuff that's edifying. And I also want to bring things that's going to cause you to go back to scripture and to really test these things and be a good Berean. That is the point of these podcasts. It's not to attack anyone. It's not to disparage anyone. These people are made in the image of God, but at the same time, they're not above scrutiny and they're not above testing. Because when you espouse to be a teacher or a prophet or apostle or whoever, and you're you're bringing a teaching um, or you're saying that you're presenting the gospel, then that is to be tested. Because we want to make sure that the correct gospel and the and the right Christ is being presented. Just because someone says the name of Jesus does not mean that they are um, presenting the gospel in accordance with scripture. Well, let's keep going. He's, he's a, a propagator of a message. Mm-hmm. So everything a real evangelist says is going to be of totalitarian. I don't believe anything else. This is the message. Gotcha. Like a John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. Repent. Mm-hmm. I think what happens with my friend Isaiah is because the office of an evangelist is so pure in where he's at. Um, he is just sharing, the heralding what he genuinely believes is what God has called him to do. So mm-hmm. if we do preach the gospel... I'm with Isaiah. I believe miracles, signs, and wonders are supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Do they always happen? No. So, so this is no. A, you will give that caveat. No. Isaiah won't, it seems like. Again, I'm right. saying it seems because I'm trying right. to be gracious because, I, 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 to, to be fair, I also don't watch a lot of his content. Right. But it's, you will give that caveat. Right. You will be like, look, I think, and, and even like, I don't it, believe you is, have to speak in tongues to be saved like some of my friends preach that. You must speak in tongues. Sure. I believe that it's an experience that can be obtained through mm-hmm. faith, mm-hmm. and it does take you to the next dimension in some areas. To Pagani's credit, I appreciate that he's saying that he does not believe what Isaiah is saying and what others espouse as you must speak in tongues in order to show that you're saved. Because again, that's a works-based gospel. That's depending on you doing something in order to prove that you really know God. But I still have issues with what he's going to say in some of this a little bit later as well. And the fact of 
there's some al- there's allowances here. There's allowance and compromise when someone is saying the full gospel is miracles, signs, and wonders in addition to presenting the gospel, which I'm going to say this, and I, you know, I haven't listened to everybody's, uh, all of their content. When I listen to their content, I don't hear the gospel being presented. And when it's presented, it's in a way that's not fully agreeing with scripture or it's partially agreeing with scripture. So I would argue they actually present a partial gospel. They're not presenting the gospel of the death, burial and resurrection of Christ and that you're a sinner. The wrath of God abides on you called to repent of your sin because of a holy God to place your faith in him alone to save you from your from from the wrath of God to cleanse you from sin and unrighteousness and to give you the promise of eternal life rather than eternal judgment separation from God. So I don't hear that message from them. And when I do hear it, it's partial. Like I heard with Catherine Crick, it's a partial message. So that's my argument on my side. I, I think I would say they're actually the ones they're projecting and they're presenting the partial gospel um, for the sake of compromise and, and not wanting to upset the apple cart and offend. Now, as Pagani goes on a little bit, this is, I wanted to play this, and this is going to be a longer podcast, so just please stick with me. I think it's going to be very helpful. There's going to be lots of scriptures near the um, the second half of this that we're going to um, read together, and I, I really want to encourage you in that because, the again, the gospel matters. The true gospel matters. But Pagani says something I found interesting I'm going to, I'm going to point out here with regards to miracles, signs, and wonders, and deliverance become born again by God using me to share the gospel. Right. But I think when we start saying stuff like signs and wonders have to follow, I would just, well, how do we define signs and wonders? And are we willing to give that caveat that it may not look right. the same way for everyone in it's every not, context? It's not, well, one, it's not going to look like that for everyone. Yeah. But I don't think there's nothing inherently wrong with believing that everyone can be healed. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with exactly. believing that. I, 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 what I think is Isaiah knows every evangelist, let me, I say this frequently, at least on my page, not everybody that comes to me gets delivered. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that, mm-hmm. My, but I will pray for everyone to make sure they get delivered. Sure. Do they get delivered? Yeah. Nope. Yeah. You know, I don't break out on a rash when it comes to that. Yeah. You know, say I believe in casting out demons. Yeah. We must cast out demons. Yeah. You know, I inherently Isaiah knows because yeah. we've had this conversation. Not everybody comes in and gets healed. Yeah. You know, but I think we always want to remain in the perpetual place of faith. Mm-hmm. We're just going to believe God. Does it happen? No. Has it happened? Yes. Mm-hmm. He's saying two different messages. Pagani's saying that he knows it, but Isaiah is saying com- something completely different. Do, do you see the disconnect here? So he is trying to defend his friend, and I understand trying to defend friends, but when it comes to the gospel, we defend the gospel. We we contend for the faith. I mean, read the book of Jude. Read the letter of Jude. What Jude talks about. He wanted to talk about their faith that they shared, but instead... He was compelled by the Holy Spirit to talk about the false teachers that were coming in and they were bringing in these deceptive teachings that were leading away from the true gospel that the apostles of Christ had laid, the foundation that had been laid by the apostles of Christ, because they had been given that authority by Christ himself to do that. That's the foundation we stand on, by the way, when we talk about the New Testament teaching. This is the foundation, Ephesians 2.20, that was laid by the apostles and the prophets. When we see this, we are resting upon the foundation that was laid because of the gospel that they ministered, and they're still ministering to us today through the Word of God. 
the written word of God that was God-breathed, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, that he carried these men along to write what he wanted to have written that would testify of Christ and glorify Christ. And the Holy Spirit testifies of Christ. He testifies of Jesus, not himself. That's a whole other topic for another day. There's a disconnect here that that Pagani is defending him. He's saying, oh, he knows. What does he know? If he knows it, then that's what he should be ministering. But instead, it's a different message. Now, what I also found interesting, I'm going to go on with this, the miracles thing real quick, and then we're going to move on to another um, area where another person spoke here. But listen to what he says about why they, they don't share miracles online on social media. That's the part that these guys on their pages, they're not saying, because we have seen authentic, viable miracles. Documented the, healing. Documented healing. Like the only sure. reason... The only reason why we don't post them, mm-hmm. two reasons why I don't post them frequently. Number one, mm-hmm. my wife won't let me because she's afraid people will blaspheme the Holy Spirit in saying that that's not of God, mm-hmm. that that's a demon wow. in that miracle. And she's afraid that people would, in their unbelief, will blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Number two, she's afraid that people will say that I'm boasting. Mm. So I don't put it. The third reason why I don't post a lot of them, let me give you an example. Um, recently, I posted something miraculous that happened. A lot of people, and I don't know why they do this, they ask me to take it down. The people who got the healing, yeah. That yeah. thing went viral, and then my wife got the call, got a text, that they were feeling uncomfortable, that I should have asked permission uh, to post that particular sure, thing. Sure. And my wife was like, up, oh, and I just I ended up having to delete it. Yeah. As crazy as this sounds, not everybody wants their sickness no, or their fair. healing that's on fair. Front Street. Yeah, I really struggle with the, the things that he said. First of all, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, if you do, if you take some time to do some studying on this, and I encourage it, um, Matthew 12, I think, is one of the passages where you can go to to look at this, where Jesus is telling the Pharisees that they accuse him of casting out a demon out of a man by Satan himself. And when you read this and you do some studying on this passage of Scripture, it would seem that Jesus is referring to his earthly ministry. They were blaspheming the Holy Spirit in the time of Jesus's earthly ministry. So there's that point. The boasting issue, I don't know. I, again, I don't know what his heart is on that. The third one, I believe, is baloney. <laughs> the reason why I say that is because there very well may be people that don't want that posted. Having said that, I don't know if any of y'all know how many deliverance videos there are on YouTube. You honestly want to tell us that people don't want a, a verified, bona fide miracle posted to glorify Christ online, but then they're okay with you posting videos of them rolling around the floor, foaming at the mouth, vomiting, screaming, growling, doing all of these things that humiliate them and embarrass them potentially, and they're okay with that, but they're not okay with an actual miracle. I really struggle with that aspect of it because of their exp- their full-on exposure of deliverance ministry um, with their clips that they post and these mass deliverances and everything else that they do. And, and he talks about there's a lot of red tape and bureaucracy and stuff. And, and so anyway, I wanted to play that because I just thought it was interesting, something to to consider. As we go on, I had played earlier the clip from Jane Hammond and also played the one from Charlie Champ about the prophecy and the implications of his word, which seemed to be projecting. And there were things that he said again that were that sounded 
correct that there are people that don't want to hear about righteousness and holiness and they don't want to hear about sin and repentance and such. But then he included what it sounded like and it was very troubling. And this was off his channel too. This was not me taking out context. He put it on his YouTube channel. It was sounding as if he was saying that the apostate church were those that in addition to those things, they also um, they, they fell under the category of being identified as apostate when they rejected the prophetic word. Now, he would hold up his Bible, but when he talks about prophetic word, he's talking about the modern prophetic word, the words that are released today, and thus saith the Lord, like he does a lot, um, and others do. He talked about uh, they wouldn't accept tongues, miracles, signs, and wonders, and such. So he is lumping those people in the apostate church. Jane Hammond, I don't know from there, it was a clip that was on her channel as well. I don't know what her um, her further ex- exposition is on, on that, but it sounded as if she was, again, identifying the apostate church as the religious church and those that are, um, she quoted part of one of the passages in 2 Timothy, where Paul tells Timothy about that the people in, in these last days, will ha- they'll be haughty and they'll, they'll be um, disobedient to their parents and they'll be um, full of hate and that they're going to be these people that do not demonstrate belonging to God and, and having a form of godliness but denying its power. And then, so that verse is often misappropriated and it's thrown around for all of this, especially when you're trying to label someone religious or Pharisee and you're saying these things. And it really... It really disturbed me to hear that. It was very troubling because that's a serious accusation to make against someone when you call them an apostate. That is not a word that you throw around and that you take lightly. When you call someone an apostate, you need to know what you're saying. And both Charlie Shamp and Jane Hammond make this distinction in calling those who oppose the move of the spirit and the supernatural as apostates. Now, I want you to consider some things. There are two main types. When I went to look, um, do a little bit of looking on this for um, apostates and apostasy, there are two main types. There's a falling away from the key and true doctrines of the Bible into heretical teachings that claim to be the real Christian doctrine. And then there's a complete renunciation of the Christian faith, which results in a full abandonment of Christ. That's not what's going on when someone questions if your prophetic word is truly from God or not, we are told to test all things against scripture. And if that's a problem, then the problem is not with us. It's, it's with you. If you don't like that, I'm borrowing that from a sister in Christ. But if, if you have a problem with someone testing a prophetic word, when scripture admonishes us to do that very thing and instructs us to do that problem is not with the word. The problem is with you or with me, if, if either one of us had an issue with that. And so when we look at this issue of calling people apostates, I thought this um, quote from A.W. Tozer was interesting. It said, so skilled is error at imitating truth that the two are constantly being mistaken for each other. It takes a sharp eye these days to know which brother is Cain and which is Abel. Um, the Apostle Paul speaks to the outwardly pleasing behavior of apostates and their teaching. He talks about this in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 14. He says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so what we need to take away from that is that um, apostates are not going to come out, you know, guns blazing with their heresy all the time. There are some people that will, but a lot of times what you find with apostates is they don't look 
bad on the outside. The appearance seems, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing, Matthew 7, when Jesus warns about, you know, the ravenous wolves that will come that are wolves in sheep's clothing. They don't look like they're heretical. They don't look like they're apostates on the outside. And they don't speak dramatic words necessarily of heresy um, in the beginning. Rather than denying the truth outright, apostates will twist it to fit their own agenda. And what happens is that uh, that that person eventually falls away and departs from the truth of God's word and departs from the gospel, departs from his righteousness. Um, the Apostle John signifies this is a mark of a false believer. In 1 John 2, 19, he said, They went out from us, but they are not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are all not of us. Claiming someone is an apostate because they are questioning the modern prophetic movement, because they're questioning the ecstatic utterances of tongues that are that people are instructed to spontaneously break out in all in all this in a public gathering, and then there's no interpretation, and to and to claim such things, and then to not test the miracle signs and wonders, and you know, let us not forget Matthew 24 warns about. And uh, Thessalonians talks about that people, God will give people over to a strong delusion that there will be false signs and wonders in the last days. And we need to be aware of these things. Just because there's a sign or wonder doesn't mean that it's God inspired. And we know that Jesus rebuked those that were continuously seeking after signs and wonders that uh, um, he said, um, a wicked and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And the only sign he told them that they would get is Jonah in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, which is alluding to Christ dying, buried and and rising from the dead. And so that's the sign that we point to in the gospel. And we'll come back to that again. But I wanted to touch on the uh, the apostasy issue because that again that's a that's a serious claim to loft against people, and then it makes this distinction of the people that when you don't question it, then you are really hearing from God, and it put, and it instills fear in people because I believe that when you make a claim like that to people that are listening in a public gathering, you're instilling fear into people to where they don't want to question because then they'll be labeled an apostate. So if you dare question the prophetic word, if you dare question tongues, miracle signs and wonders, you dare question any of these supernatural manifestations. If you dare question any of these supernatural manifestations, you're going to be labeled an apostate. And I believe that that is a tactic that's, whether it's directly or indirectly, I don't know. It's being used to basically cause people to not question. It's instilling fear in people. And it's, it's manipulating people. Now, as we go on and we consider what Bill Johnson said at the beginning, and he was talking about that the mistake that the reformers made was that they reduced the gospel to the gospel of salvation. And he mentioned the gospel of the kingdom. I actually wanted to look at that a little bit. I found a couple of articles that will help us, and I'll post the links to, to some of these things that I'm referencing today. I think they'll be of help to you. I want to refer you back to reputable, godly men, pastors, teachers that are going to steer you in the right direction and steer you back ultimately to what the Word of God means in the proper context. I think that that is most appropriate in the position that I'm in, in doing this podcasting and blogging and such. So I want to to share those resources with you, and and I think that that is uh, again the most appropriate 
thing for me to do with with regards to these topics we talk about. In case you pick up on that, you'll notice that I try to steer you back to these these other resources that are going to be of help to you. Instead of just sharing my opinion or, you know, my my take on things, I want to to steer you back to these. So I found this article on Ligonier. It was called The Gospel of the Kingdom. And there was a, a verse that was shared on here, Luke 17, 20 through 21, that said, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And they share this topic, um, they share a, a part of a series from R.C. Sproul on here called What is the Gospel? And this is what Sproul had to say. He said, you will note that we have used the phrase good news of salvation synonymously with the word gospel in the previous paragraph and with good reason. That is because euangelion, the Greek word we translate into English as gospel, literally means good news or good message. In biblical times, euangelion could refer to any piece of favorable news, including reports that a city's army had been victorious in battle. The authors of scripture took the term and invested it with new meaning based on divine revelation, so that now we as Christians use the word gospel to speak of the good message of salvation. In the New Testament, we find the term gospel on the lips of Jesus himself in Matthew 26, 13. Christ uses the word most often in connection with the kingdom of God. Thus, the evangelist can speak of Jesus proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. From Genesis to Revelation, we see the Lord's servants longing for the kingdom of God to come. Put most simply, the kingdom of God is that place where his reign is recognized openly and gladly. When we speak of the kingdom of God, we do not mean to imply that there are places over which the Lord does not currently reign, for our creator sovereignly rules over all. However, since the fall of Adam, his realm has been in open rebellion against him. Men and women do not willingly or happily embrace, submit to, and rejoice in God's reign. And because of that, they forfeit many blessings. For people to recognize God's kingdom, our Lord had to act and overcome humanity's suppression of the knowledge that he is king and that we are to be his loyal subjects. This he did in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who as the second person of the Trinity and victor over sin and death, now reigns as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And at the bottom they have, With the coming of Christ, the kingdom of God is now evident among his people, even as we wait for its final consummation at his return. The gospel announces that Jesus has done the work necessary to overcome our natural resistance to God's kingdom and to make us citizens of this kingdom through faith alone. As we preach the gospel, we are announcing the blessed reign of the Lord, And we must repeat his command that all people everywhere repent and bow to his rule. The other thing I wanted to read to you as well that was very helpful. um, There's two other things. So what the gospel of the kingdom, I found this on the Nine Marks website. And it talked about how this is a very popular uh, term these days about the gospel of the kingdom. And they said many people claim that when Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom in Matthew 4.23, he was preaching a message about the overthrow of evil government powers, the transformation of society, and the lifting up of the poor. All kinds of revolutionaries can get behind these ideas. But is that what the Bible means when it speaks about the gospel of the kingdom? Not exactly. When Philip the evangelist preached the good news about the kingdom of God, men and women believed and were baptized in Acts 8, 12. This gospel of the kingdom called them to turn from their sin, trust in Jesus Christ, and begin a new life symbolized by baptism. On the other hand, when Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God coming near in Mark 1, 15, he is referring to something truly revolutionary. 
He means that with his own coming to earth, God's saving rule and reign has come near in a way that's never happened before in all of human history. He means that God's promises to establish his kingdom are beginning to be fulfilled and that God will one day usher in a new creation, which has even now been inaugurated through Jesus' resurrection. The references are Colossians 1.18 and 2 Corinthians 5.17. This new creation will be a place of perfect righteousness and peace, a place in which all wrongs will be made right. Yet while this gospel of the kingdom has striking global implications, it is fundamentally a message about what Jesus has done to save sinners. Jesus said that unless a man is born again, a new birth that it can only come through the hearing of the gospel, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Paul makes it clear that the only way anyone participates in this kingdom is by believing in Jesus Christ and living a life that demonstrates the reality of that faith. The gospel of the kingdom is ultimately a message about a king who died for his enemies so that those who believe in him would inherit the very kingdom he purchased for them. The last article about this that also has to do with our eternal inheritance because Catherine Crick mentioned this and I wanted to touch on this. I found this on the Banner of Truth website, and they talked about in the uh, article written in, in 2015, Our Eternal Inheritance. I want to read a little bit of this to you as well. There is a text in the Bible that is often misunderstood. When Paul writes, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. 1 Corinthians 2, nine. Preachers especially are prone to quote these words as if they were saying that the Christian has something gloriously and unimaginably wonderful to look forward to. Christians do have something unimaginably wonderful to look forward to. But the point Paul is making here is that in measure, God has already revealed to us just what he has prepared for his people in Christ. He has not left us in the dark to wonder what he has prepared for us. And this article goes on to talk about how what Peter said in his first letter and that Christians have, because of their union with Jesus Christ, an inheritance. It is usual for children to enter into their inheritance when one or both of their parents die. But the Christian's inheritance is the result not only of their Savior's death, but also of his resurrection. In the previous verse, Paul tells us that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If there were no resurrection, Jesus' death would have been the greatest anticlimax in history. But gloriously and inevitably, it was not possible for death to hold him. It is as a risen, cosmically triumphant Savior that Jesus bequeathed to his people the inheritance he secured for them by his sin-atoning death and his glorious triumph over sin and death and hell in his resurrection on the third day. It is an imperishable inheritance. What makes this inheritance imperishable? It is imperishable because it is located in the imperishable person of the God-man, Jesus Christ. Jesus himself is our salvation. He is the Lord, our righteousness. Our inheritance can no more perish than he can. It is an undefiled inheritance. What makes it undefiled? The perfect, holy, and spotless Savior in whom our inheritance is located. It is an unfading inheritance. What makes it unfading? By now you can anticipate, because Jesus Christ, the eternally unfading God-man, is himself the inheritance of his people. And I'm going to post this, and there's more that you can read on this, but I wanted to share a little bit of this about our eternal inheritance, because sad to say, Catherine Crick is missing what what our inheritance is. And it's a hope that we cannot see, we cannot fully comprehend, but we understand that it's the truth because of what Christ did for us. 
And we need to remember that people are always looking for something in this world to guarantee that that we're blessed. That we want to see material possessions, or we want to see our healing manifest, or we want to see uh, our, our family members saved. We want to see things that we can that we can tangibly touch, or that we can physically see with our own eyes, in order to make sure that we know that we have what's promised. That's not the evidence of faith in our life. We we hope in uh, eternal life, yet we haven't seen it because we trust what Christ has done. And so when we talk about eternal inheritance, we need to go back to Scripture. We don't need to be listening to, to what she's saying or what other people say when they're talking about if you don't have healing in your body or you don't have prosperity or you think that you're oppressed by demons, which let me just encourage you, dear believer, you don't have to worry about demons entering you. First John four four should help put some encur- help should help to encourage you in that you don't need to worry about it and the evil one cannot touch you according to First John five. Be, we don't need to be concerned about that. The battle that we have with the demonic is outward, not inward. As a believer in Christ, if we have to worry about an inward battle with demons even after we're saved, then what is the point of salvation and f- having faith in Christ and and knowing that. Um, that the Holy Spirit empowers us and and that he helps us and guides us and leads us and that that the devil cannot touch us. I don't know what hope we have if if this bondage is trying to be placed on us in that teaching. As we consider further into scripture about for those who teach that signs and wonders are required in presenting the gospel, the questions arise and how do they reconcile accounts in scripture where Paul reasoned among those in the Acts of the Apostles? In Acts 17, we read about Paul traveling and ministering along with Silas in Thessalonica. Acts 17.1 says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. Notice that he didn't say, that the gospel that he received, which he makes it clear in Galatians 1, it was a revelation of Jesus Christ, not given to him by man, but the gospel that he ministered focused on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Even in Corinthians, he talks about how he knew nothing except to preach Christ and him crucified. So he goes on, it goes on to say in Acts 17 that he says, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. And as we go on, we see that some of the Jews became jealous and that they began to cause trouble and division in the area. And as we go on and later in Acts 17, in verse 17, we see that while Paul was was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know therefore what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. 
And it goes on in, ver- in verse 22 on to, that Paul addresses them at the Areopagus. But there are no signs and wonders that are done. So was Paul preaching a partial gospel? No, he was not. And so I wonder when I hear these teachings of the full gospel, the full gospel, we must have signs and wonders. We must have demons cast out. We must have tongues and we must have prophecy. And if it's not, it's not the full gospel. How do they reconcile passages such as these? How do they reconcile that John the Baptist, who was proclaiming Christ, did no signs? It talks, it specifically says this in the gospel. He did no signs, none Uh, And if you do some studying on the matter, you will find that signs and wonders took place at specific times and for a purpose, both in the Old Testament and New Testament. And there were hundreds of years that would span in between these instances, these time frames when signs and wonders took place, and they were for a purpose. Paul told Timothy to preach the gospel and to be ready in season and out of season. And it was for this very reason that we'll read in in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober minded, endure suffering. Well, he would not. (laughs) If If Paul is telling him to endure suffering, then he is not living the full gospel. Let me just tell you. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And Paul realizes, this is his last letter to Timothy, that he's getting ready to to be uh, killed. He's getting ready to be martyred for the sake of Christ. So Paul told Timothy, he didn't tell him, go do signs and wonders. Make sure that when you minister the gospel, that the full gospel is miracle signs and wonders. He told him to preach the gospel, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort to correct and to not basically scratch itching ears because there were going to be itching ears that were going to seek after things and they would not listen to the truth of the word of God. And this is what I fear is going on right now. I want to also read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. What is the full gospel? What is it? What is the full gospel? Is it what these people are saying? Have, have we been doing this? Has this been going wrong for 1900 years, 2000 years? that people have not been ministering the full gospel, that, that the kingdom of God has not been advanced without signs and wonders? Is that what's happened? I don't think so. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel unto salvation is the death, burial, and and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you need a clear presentation of the gospel, you only need to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised from the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And it goes on to say that he appeared to Cephas and he appeared to the 12, the apostles. This is the gospel. Nowhere in here does Paul tell them 
that the gospel is you must do signs and wonders. The sign and wonder that he that he highlights here, that he focuses on, is the resurrection of Christ. And that's what we are to put our hope in as believers. We don't need signs and wonders. And, and the world doesn't need signs. And, they don't need to be convinced. They don't need that. They need the gospel, the, the true, pure gospel. Let me also encourage you in Romans 10. Romans 10 helps us to see the message of salvation to all. And he talks, Paul talks about Moses, writes about the righteousness that is based on the law in verse 5, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your hearts who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we see that the gospel is presented and it's all throughout the scripture. And it's not ever focusing on you doing signs and wonders to confirm the gospel. We don't do anything to confirm the gospel. God has already confirmed the gospel by what his son did, the finished work of Christ on the cross. That is the confirmation. This is a gospel plus message that is being presented when people are being told, you must do something. You must do signs and wonders. You must speak in tongues. You must be able to prophesy. You must have this relationship with God that shows you're intimate with him by you hearing his voice for yourself. Are you doing this? Are you doing that? When it's all focused on what you do and it's not, it's not focused on what Christ has done for you for on your behalf and that you f- realize the weight. And I just want you to, to take this into consideration too. And this is really, it's sad to me. When people are saying, well, Jesus just, it wasn't just that Jesus died for your sins. It was all this other stuff too that you're just not realizing it's part of your inheritance. Do you realize how that minimizes what Christ did? That is not understanding the sobriety, the severity of what Jesus did on the cross. When we have diminished what the cross means and what happened because of our sin and our rebellion against God and what Jesus did because God loved and yet is just at the same time, what God did in sending his own son to die on the cross. And we minimize that and we say, well, you know, Jesus died for you. And that's just a partial gospel. You know, it wasn't just for your salvation. If you, if those words ever come out of, of anybody's mouth, or if they were to come out of my own mouth, without me uh, repeating what someone else has said, if I said those things, Th- that to me is is such a grieving statement to say that because 
that then there's no comprehension. We have no comprehension. If we were to say such a thing, we have no comprehension an inkling of comprehension of what Jesus did for us. And then we need to question, does this person really understand the gospel? Because I don't need anything else beyond that. I understand that there's an inheritance eternal of eternal significance because of being a child of God, a citizen of heaven. Now that is the eternal inheritance. No longer an enemy of God, no longer a child of wrath, no longer um, listening to my father, Satan, in this world, who is the little God, the ruler of this world, but now belonging to Christ, belonging to God, being reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ to atone for my sin and to wash me clean and do what I could never do and to atone for that sin and, and to make me a citizen of heaven, to make me a child of God, a co-heir with Christ and not in some weird way where I'm seeking dominionism or anything like that. But understanding that even in trials and suffering, there is a hope to look forward to that I can't yet see, but I know it's true because the Bible says it and it's God speaking and I believe it. And my faith is in Christ. To say, even not even realizing what we're saying, well, you just die. You know, it's not just for your salvation. I'm sorry, but that that is not that is completely not even acknowledging and understanding the fullness of what Jesus did on the cross. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You you'll find me getting a bit zealous for this because this is again this is something this is a hill worth dying on. This is something that is is vital to understand. Um, I also wanted to mention to you as well, Ephesians 2. I mean, Ephesians 2, the whole book of Ephesians is, is, a, is a beautiful book for us to understand um, as believers. But uh, we need to be reminded, Ephesians 2, verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That right there should help you understand uh, it's the devil that's at work in the sons of disobedience. That should tell you right there that a born-again believer cannot have an indwelling demon because we are not sons of disobedience. Yes, there is still sin that we battle with internally and that we go to God and thank God for Jesus being the high priest that ever intercedes for us and that, that we are still in a fallen world and that there is this sinful nature. We are, we are saint and sinner at the same time. So Catherine Crick also said, too, that you're no longer a sinner. I would disagree, and so would Scripture. Look at Romans 7. Look at other passages that you can cite, that, and First John 1 and 2, that help us to understand that if we say we have no sin, we are a liar. And we do not belong to God when we say such things. But our hope is in the fact that we have a great high priest. We have the Holy Spirit that is progressively sanctifying us day by day. And that we are reconciled back to God the Father. And that we are ever being conformed to the image of Christ. And I am no longer, and if you're a believer in Christ, you're no longer a son of disobedience. Because of what the scripture says. We believe what scripture says and we don't believe the extra biblical teaching that people want to spout out that disagrees with the very word of God. Verse three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, 
Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So encouraging when we read the word of God and understand it. When we And so when we think about all the, what scripture says, and then we con- contrast it to what we're hearing from some of these people about the full gospel include, have, must have miracle signs and wonders that accompany it. And that we have to, we, that the world is owed an encounter and that we need to uh, convince the world with these signs and wonders. And we have people that, for example, with Bill Johnson, I've heard people say that when, they, when they've when they sat under his sermons or listened to his sermons, they can't confirm the gospel being ministered. But yet they're hearing the signs and you must do signs and wonders. You must have these in order for the gospel to even have power. Because if you're not doing this, there's no power. And again, it's denying the fact of the power of what Christ did on the cross. It's it's as if they're missing the the big gorilla in the room that's pointing back to <laughs> pointing back to Christ. They're missing the beauty and the power of the gospel and they're trying to add to it. God's word doesn't need anything added to it to be powerful. How could someone come away from some type of teaching thinking that the gospel is not complete without signs and wonders after listening to him speak? Because if, if you have someone that's saying that they sat under his teaching and they're saying, I didn't hear the gospel presented, that, but they're hearing this, then how could someone not come away thinking that the gospel's not complete without the signs and wonders? You see what I'm saying here? When you present another gospel then and the people keep hearing this over and over again and then they go out and to perpetuate these types of things and, and you're not seeing the consistency of it, but then they're saying that this is the gospel, but then they're not really presenting the gospel. It's another gospel. There's also been talk about, you know, the humanity of Jesus in Acts 10 38, how God gave him the Holy Spirit, and that this verse was our model to follow. Bill Johnson talked about that. And it seems that there's an overemphasis on the humanity of Jesus Christ while simultaneously having an overemphasis on self. And the true gospel is minimized. That's the thing that I take away from all of this is that the true gospel is is minimized and when you know you're being told that we need to be attractive to the world that that, that the world is attracted when you're operating and you're um in 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 true freedom and in prosperity and all this stuff does it say anywhere in passages of the bible that people are attracted to jesus by health protection provision power and authority no it doesn't say any of that. You know, I, and I'm reminded when I was reading and listening to some of this stuff, I was uh, reminded of what 2 Corinthians 4 had to say when Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and he talks about um, the light of the gospel in the beginning of chapter 4 and he goes on um, in verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. 
We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And Paul goes on to say, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And chapter five is really good too. I mean, it goes on to talk about our heavenly dwelling and the ministry of reconciliation. I encourage you to read that. Was Paul attractive to the world? I mean, he's describing as an apostle in in this area and in other areas about how the apostles were mistreated. They were poor. They were um, abused in, in certain ways. They were persecuted. Was that attractive to the world? Was Paul concerned about being attractive to the world and saying, hey, I got to do signs and wonders and I've got to look like I've got it all together. I've got to have this authority. I can't look weak. I can't look um, short in stature. I can't look like I, I, I don't ha- I'm not physically powerful when I come to see the Corinthians, was he worried about that or concerned about being attractive? Or was his focus Christ and him crucified? The messages that are being presented with this full gospel message are not adding up and they're not uh, agreeing with what the word of God presents. And I hope that you can, can see that. As we're wrapping up our time together today, I wanted to offer some thoughts about some of the clips that we saw in the beginning. There was a statement made that it was an insult to the gospel when we don't have signs and wonders. And I think it is an insult to the cross of Christ, to the very miracle pointing to Christ, which was the power of his resurrection and the miracle of his work in bringing a spiritually dead man or woman to spiritual life and reconciliation to the Father by grace through faith in Christ alone. I think that's an insult to the cross when we have to add something to what Christ did because it's just not flashy enough. It's not attractive enough. As some said, then, then that's an insult to what God has done. And we, and there's, and it shows that there's no a full understanding of that. Any life lived for Christ is never powerless. You know, that was said also that if you're not living your best life necess- per se, then, then it, and it's powerless and any life lived for Christ is never powerless because of who our hope and our faith is placed in. John eight thirty two was was referenced about you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But it would be good for you to read what it says before that in verse 31, when Jesus is telling those who are listening to him, truly, truly, I say to you, if you are my disciple, you will abide in my word and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's important that we stay in his word. That's how if we abide in his word, and we obey him. That's to show that we are truly his disciples. And that helps us to understand true freedom in him, not in what these people are saying. You having sickness in your body does not mean your understanding of God's inheritance is absent or void. You not having material possessions does not mean your understanding of God's inheritance is absent or void. 
please understand and be encouraged as a believer in Christ. The devil cannot lay claim to you or indwell you, as I've already explained to you before. The world does not need convincing, as Isaiah said, or a new demonstration. What they need is the pure gospel, which is full and complete. No perks and no bonuses necessary, and no new signs and wonders required. What we need is to understand that what God did through His Son on the cross is sufficient. It's sufficient. It's complete. Jesus said it was finished on the cross. And we need to understand that while we live in this world, we are going to face things. Jesus told his very disciples that they would face tribulation, but to be encouraged that he had overcome the world. He didn't tell them that they needed to be attractive for other people in order to present the gospel. He did give his apostles instructions to do signs and wonders, and that authenticated their ministry as apostles of Christ to lay the foundation for the church. If we have to add to the gospel for it to be appealing or relevant, then we have another gospel. And we don't truly understand the glorious promises and eternal inheritance we have to look forward to while in this world if we have to add to it. I wanted to leave you with one more scripture, though I could leave you with many, but there's one I want to leave you with to ponder on too, as we consider what we have obtained through our faith in Jesus Christ and by what he did on the cross for us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, I want to read verses 3 through 12 for us to consider and ponder today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. I would encourage you today, dear friend, the gospel is sufficient in what Jesus did. And there are no new signs and wonders that are necessary in order for it to be effective, to be powerful, to be relevant. The power of the gospel lies in what Jesus did on the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection. And we have much hope to look toward in this world, the promises that we can't fathom and comprehend fully, but that we will understand when we get to heaven and we get to be with our God forever and enjoy Him forever. And we're free and saved from the presence of sin. And I hope that that gives you some encouragement today to look towards 
And even in processing some of these things, as you've possibly come out of this movement and trying to make some sense of what the true gospel is and the full gospel, and when people are talking about the gospel of the kingdom and what it really means in accordance with scripture, the true gospel matters. It's something that we need to stand for, we need to contend for, we need to defend it, and we need to proclaim it. And when there's an error in it, then we need to address it, because there are people that are going to be led astray by another gospel if we do not do so. I hope that this has helped you today. And as always, if you have questions or you just want to reach out, you can email me at dawn at lovesickscribe.com. And if you've enjoyed this podcast or if it's encouraged you, I hope that you'll consider leaving a five-star review. And until next time, I hope that you have a great week. Be blessed today by the truth of God's word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.